Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. From him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament and grows and builds itself up in love as each of us does our part. There's a bunch packed in there, but you can see here that regardless of the gift, we've got to do uh, our individual part. And when that happens, the body grows numerically and it grows in maturity. And at the end of the day, we together, collectively, look more like Jesus. That's the goal of the body. It's the goal of the individual life. The the goal of the Christian is not personal salvation, so you can exit here at death and go to heaven. That's not the goal. The goal is that you would be like Jesus. And so as we think about the Good Shepherd today, which is what we're going to talk about, I was captured by the the imagination that, that... what would happen if just half of us in here would, would act like good shepherds after today? What, what would happen in our city? What would ha- happen in our families? What would happen in our midst if, if we really did begin to look more and more like Jesus? Requires each one of us to, to play our part. So again, pa- Pastor Shepherd, uh, th- this could be a gifting, and, and we've talked about this. We're not, not real st- being real staunch on every one of you has th- has one of these gifts. I think you. I think. I think we, what we know is all of these need to be represented here. And, and then we're, we're not driving down real deep and, and uh, saying that these are for a lifetime. These might be for a season. And in fact, there, there may be some of you who have a pastor shepherd type role that, that you're not sure whether you're gifted in it or not, but you still have a responsibility, right? So just holding this with an open hand and just saying, Lord, what do you have to say to us today about being a pastor, shepherd? We're going to do this kind of DBS style, uh, Discovery Bible Study, if you've been a part of one of those uh, during the week here at Skyline. We're just going to look at a big chunk of of Scripture, and then we're going to ask a few questions. Deal? Ready to jump in? All right. Only one place to go when we're talking about uh, the Good Shepherd. Before we get there, just a quick review, quick review on what it is. The Pastor Shepherd, they are the caregivers, they are the parental figures, 
Okay, so this is, expand your imagination here. This is a bigger context than just some paid guy who gets to stand up here and talk and comes and visits you when you're in the hospital, right? So this is a much bigger thing than the paid pastor of our day, yet a cer certainly a pastor in our day should uh, exhibit no less than these qualities. They, they were and are to be instrumental in guiding people through brokenness and through lostness back to wholeness and to create an atmosphere of safety, security, of belonging, and of growth. So the shepherd is a leader who protects and serves and cares for the, the sheep that they are leading. That's reminiscent of the Eden blessing, right? To, to where we would reflect and we would steward. We would reflect and we would steward, right? We, we were created to do that. Reflect what God looks like and steward in a way that all creation, every human and creation can reach its full potential. So the spiritually gifted leader is empowered by the Holy Spirit to care for whatever flock, large or small, that they're entrusted to and reflect the good shepherd. So this could be moms, dads, could be department heads, could be small group leaders for, for our youth ministry or, or uh, children's ministry. It, it could be in your neighborhood group. It could be with uh, s some lost friends of yours that you're just acting as a shepherd that hopefully leads them to be found, right? So where do we start? We start in John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We're gonna start here and we're gonna end here. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. You want to know what a bad shepherd does? A bad shepherd does not care for anybody but himself. Verse 14, I, Jesus says, am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So, John chapter 10, this is the middle of chapter 10. We're not just jumping in the middle of a chapter, we're, we're jumping in the middle of a story. It's like we've walked into a movie about 30 minutes into the show and you're like, okay, now exactly how does this connect? And you, you're not really sure, so I'm, I'm gonna tell you. John chapter nine, John chapter 10, they're linked together. And so this teaching on the good shepherd is really a response to the bad shepherding that we see in John chapter 9 and also that we saw last week when Jonathan referred to John chapter 8 and the woman that was caught in adultery, right? Poor response, bad shepherding from the Pharisees in that case and we'll see it again today with the healing of the blind man, right? John chapter 9. Jesus heals a, a blind man. We'll start with verse 1. says, as... He went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, we have to stop already because when was the last time you saw somebody with a disability and the first thing that you thought is, huh, I wonder who did something wrong? Was it, was it that person or was it their parents? Yet this was a very legitimate thought at the time of the disciples. Why? Because there was a group of Sadducees, which were by birth wealthy aristocrats. 
who were often in cahoots with the Roman Empire. Some of them served on the Sanhedrin, which was like the, the Jewish Supreme Court. These guys were a part of the in crowd. They were, they were like our, kind of like our superstars or actresses or actresses, or, or actors or actresses, right? The Sadducees had power, they had influence, and they had a platform. And they used their platform to teach that, the, that if you had wealth, then that, that meant that you had God's favor on you. It's convenient, right? Conversely, if you were poor, had some ailment or illness, it meant that God's favor was not on you and you or someone close to, close to you must have done something wrong. Now, this theology had kind of made its way around the first century Mediterranean and, and the disciples were not immune to its teaching. So Jesus, who is God, represents him exactly, is going to set things straight. Now, I think sometimes we're tempted to, to notice that, that God is this good character, this good God, this good guy, charming guy in the New Testament. He's kind of grouchy in the Old Testament. And anytime you start to think that, uh, we've got to be reminded of a couple of things. God is immutable, which means he doesn't change, and God looks like Jesus. So anytime I read something in the Old Testament and I'm like, it doesn't look a lot like Jesus, I just assume I've got to do some more studying, right? Look at what God says in the Old Testament through the prophet Isaiah about the down and out, the marginalized and the oppressed. He says in Isaiah, he says, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he has established justice on earth. Amen? I mean, that's good. That is good. I mean, when you feel bruised, when you feel burnt out, when you feel like you're at the end of your rope, you've got to be reminded there is a good shepherd and he is faithful. Traded Facebook uh, message, whatever that's called, messenger uh, messages with one of my former players yesterday. Uh, Edmund North kid, wealthy family, and uh, note, I had no idea. She's living on the streets in San Francisco. She said she's cold, lonely, and afraid. She's bruised. And because she's one of my sheep, she, this, is, this is part of my responsibility now, right? So we've got to figure out. A, she needs to know, it ain't Greg that's faithful. It's that God is faithful. And oh, by the way, I'm his representative here. Let's get you home. Back to the story. We see the Pharisees. They judged this blind man, this bruised reed, as unclean. See, at the time of Jesus, in and out was, was really about being clean and unclean. And those that were clean would never mix with those that were unclean because their clean would become unclean. And then Jesus comes along and he reverses everything. Right? He who was clean would touch somebody who was not clean and all of a sudden his clean would make their unclean clean. 
Jesus is a good shepherd. He is not concerned, he, he's not afraid uh, of our shortcomings. He, he, he's not put off by our dirt and our mess. He makes things new. And that's what we see here with the blind man, right? At the pool of Siloam. And he does this on the Sabbath. So, so by the way, as you're reading through the gospel, start to notice. If you're reading the story about Jesus on the Sabbath, good news is about ready to happen. Somebody going to get healed on the Sabbath. Because Jesus likes to celebrate this restoration on the Sabbath, making broken things whole, bringing dead things back to life. Amen. The kingdom of God breaks forth on the Sabbath. And if you're needing some of that break and forth business in your life, I'm going to be talk, done talking here in just a little while. And then the real ministry begins because we've got a prayer team and we've seen some incredible things happen right here on the sides. And sometimes on Mondays and throughout the week, people will come in, pray with our prayer team, and they will be made, be made new. And man, if you're needing some of that, just hang on for a little bit, I'll shut up, and the prayer time will begin. Good things happen on the Sabbath. But I want you to notice, not everybody thought that. The Pharisees, what was their response to a blind man who was uh, born that way, had spent 18, 19, 20, 25 years, we don't know for sure, he's a, he's a man now out on his own, and he spent every day of his life blind, and all of a sudden, in an instant, he can see. And they can't spend one second celebrating that because of some technicality about work. It appears that Jesus may define work differently, huh? So they bring the healed man in and they begin to question him and badger him and treat him as if he's a liar, like he made this story up. And he brings uh, his parents in for the questioning. And in verse 19, it says this, is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? And they replied, we know this is our son. We know he was born blind, but how can he see, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents almost hiding back here, not quite abandoning their kid, but they're going, he's on his own now. Why? Because they're terrified of the shepherds. Let me just tell you, if whatever flock you're overseeing is terrified of you, you're doing it wrong. So they do ask him again. They bring him back in, more questioning and more badgering. And he's like, look guys, I, all I know is I was blind all my life, but now I see. And then he goes on to say these words. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you are steeped in sin at birth. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? The moral elite, the arrogant shepherd, how dare you sheep tell us anything? What do you have for us, right? Certainly not even partially humble, let alone completely humble and patient and gentle. 
bearing with one another in love. And it was in this context that Jesus tells the story of the good shepherd. And he says, he directs it to the Pharisees with the crowd listening. And in so doing, he shoots down the Sadducee and Pharisaical framework. Back to John 10, verse 1 says, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Are you spending time getting to know his voice? Verse six, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Now you could give some people a pass, right? But how in the world do the Pharisees miss this? The Pharisees, the elite, the best of the best, they would have had the entire, get this, the entire Old Testament memorized word for word by the age of 14 to 16. Which meant they would have known and had memorized and probably taught from, maybe often taught from Ezekiel 34. In Ezekiel 34, the Lord is very clear about what a good shepherd and what a bad shepherd looks like, and these men knew it. Ezekiel 34, the, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to you shepherds of Israel who take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourself with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched for them or looked for them. Scathing rebuke of the shepherds. That these men, these church men, these Ivy Leaguers, when it came to religion, they grew up in synagogue and knew all of this. They knew how the shepherds had either advocated their role at best or severely abused it at worst. Bells should have been going off when Jesus is talking about shepherds but they couldn't get outside of themselves to hear it. And I would just say gently that maybe some bells need to go off in here about us churched up leaders, about how we shepherd our sheep, those that are in our care, the ones that we tend to, family, colleagues, 
direct reports, whatever it may be, neighbors. Now, we don't have to experience shame. (laughs) That's not the point. We don't experience shame, but we just have to pause long enough to go, you know what? There's a model here. There's an example. There's an expectation. It's been laid out. It was foreshadowed in Ezekiel 34, and we come to see it for sure in John chapter 10. But I want you to notice right after this, the number of times that God says, I will. Ezekiel 34 verse 11, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from the places where they are scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will pass pasture them and on the mountains of Israel and in the ravines and in the settlements in the land I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land they will lie down in good grazing land and there they will feed in rich pastures and on the mountains of Israel I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down declares the sovereign Lord I will search for the lost and bring back the strays I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak but the sleek and the strong I will destroy I will shepherd the flock with justice amen Oh, how the nation of Israel had longed for that. A good shepherd, the Messiah to come along and not only set them free from the harsh treatment of the Romans, but to set them free from the harsh treatment of their own religious leaders. And then we get to see the fulfillment and we end here in John chapter 10, verse seven. Therefore, Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. And who come before me are the thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters in through me will be saved. Then they will come come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. That's what good shepherds, that's what good leaders do. They make lives better for those under their care. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And in Jesus fulfilling Ezekiel's prophecy, he reveals who he is. He is the good shepherd that the nation had longed for. He is demonstrating the difference, the dichotomy between a good shepherd and the bad shepherds that we'd seen the Pharisees be in John 8 and John 9. So if you feel like that maybe you have the shepherding gift or at least have the shepherd's responsibility in some area in your life, quick non-judgmental question for all of us just how you doing based on good and bad how are you doing we'll get back to that when Jesus is talking about this he's he's 
not only says he's the good shepherd, but he's also the gate, right? He's the gate. And what comes to mind when you think of gate? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Maybe, the, maybe it's the gate to a house, uh, the entrance to a neighborhood, how you get from the front yard to the backyard without going through the house, right? Chase and I were, this is kind of name dropping, but we were at the White House and we saw the gates to the White House. That was pretty freaking cool, right? So that's what comes to mind when we think of, when I think of gates, it has a context. Words matter, right? So when Jesus says gate, there's something that he means that's pretty specific that everybody there would have known. And what's cool about Jewish teaching and Jewish theology is it's not heady like the Greeks. Jewish theology gets the hay down where the goats can get it, right? You know, where everybody can understand. It's very visual. It's things from their world. It's tactile. It's tangible. And so when Jesus says, I am the gate to this crowd, something different comes to mind. We have to work a little harder at that, right? So if we were to walk around Israel today, we, we would come across, some of them have been there for decades, centuries, that we come across these things that are like, that are called sheepfolds, right? They look like this. And sheepfolds were, were very uh, important in this day because you would, you would have people that would be moving from one place to the other and they would be moving with their herd. You know, they would take their, their sheep out. All the, all the good grass had been eaten up and they need to go out and they don't know when they're going to come back, right? And sometimes they're, they, they think they're going to make it back, but then they get caught and it's dark and like, oh no, we've got to settle down for the night, right? They didn't have the Waze app that would have shown them that nice little shortcut that could have got them home in the daylight. So they, 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 go, they go to one of these things, right? So they're either natural or man-made structures, right? So they want the bigger, the bigger ones, just kind of a cave that you can see how some people built up the rocks around it. Now, each one of those, there is really small, but in each one of those, you can see an opening. What do you think they called the opening? The gate. When Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and I am the gate, it brings this to mind, right? Because everybody in the crowd had watched something like this happen, right? They, they'd been going home, walking home from town, and they see this shepherd, in, you know, coaxing the sheep into the sheepfold, counting them, one, two, Three, okay, there's Larry, there's Curly, there's Mo, Laverne, Shirley, right? Young people are wondering what are, what, what are the old people laughing at? Okay, so it gets, gets them all in the sheepfold by nightfall. Why? Because the predators come out at night. And so what the shepherd would do is after he got every single one, not 99, all 100 into the sheepfold, he would actually lay down in that opening and literally become the gate. Why? Two reasons. Keep the sheep in, keep the predators out. Jesus is explaining to his people in John chapter 10 who he is, among other things, in the night watches of their life. And he's reminding us today, this is who I am when things grow strangely dim, 
when the predators are on the prowl, when you're bruised and exhausted, burn out, and at the end of your rope, walking around with a limp, this is where he's at. Saying, I'm the good shepherd. Lay down and rest. Now, how many of you are self-aware enough to be thankful to God that he keeps you in the sheep fold when it goes dark? How many realize that you have and you likely still will try to uh, climb out of the sheepfold when you think that nobody's looking. Jesus is consistently and vigilantly and intimately keeping the sheep in so you can rest and keeping the enemy out. You ever had a sleepless night? Anxious, worried, and that situation, and the enemy used that situation to rob you of rest. You've taken your melatonin and your Benadryl and your Zequil, maybe all at once last night, don't judge me. Yet your soul is still unsettled. John 10 is for you today. And maybe you need to experience the gift of the Good Shepherd before you can actually tangibly demonstrate the gift of shepherding. That's it. That's the teaching. Now a few questions. I want you to think just for a moment about the times that you have run from the Lord and you've chose to remain outside the gate, not knowing what he might be like or require of you. Ezekiel 34 in John chapter 10 reveals to you what the father is really like, what the shepherd is really like. He's a good shepherd. He wants to protect you, care for you, keep you safe, help you grow and mature. And so your question today is, if you've never walked in, would you be willing to today? If you've never entered in through Jesus all the benefits that he has for you. Be counted one of his sheep. Would you be willing to do that today? That's question number one. Question number two, leaders. Leaders in the room in any way. Again, small to big. Who, not what, are you laying your life down for? I hope it's not a what. What's pretty shallow. But who are you laying down your life for? And then I just want to ask, is, is, is that enough? Would Holy Spirit maybe expand your imagination today and say, you know what? I need you to be a good shepherd. I need you to be a gate for so-and-so because they don't know this stuff. And they're a bruised reed. And their wick is burning out. I need you to intercede. Question three. What have we learned about a bad shepherd? I was going to do audience participation, but I'll give you the answers. What have we learned about a, a good shepherd? They don't care about anybody but themselves. They expose their sheep's weaknesses and shortcomings, often in front of other people, like John 8. They act heavily handed, very harsh, angry, 
used to hogging the limelight and don't like it when somebody else gets the attention. What's a good shepherd do? First of all, a good shepherd knows his sheep, right? They get to really know them. The people that, you, that are under your steed, do you get to know them? Communicate well with them. Where they recognize your voice and you recognize theirs? Are you patient? Do you go out of your way to rescue, heal, be quick to forgive? And at the end of the, end of the day, do you lay down your life for them? That sounds wild. Do you lay down your wants, wishes, desires, resources, life? And what might that look like? I don't know. Ask Holy Spirit. Two more questions. Are you a good shepherd? I think all of us have some leadership responsibility. All of us have some shepherding to do. Just how you doing? Non-judgmentally. How you doing? And if not, great. Final question. What's maybe one thing that you could do this week? Just one thing that you could do this week that would improve your shepherding, that would cause you to reflect a little bit more of Jesus than you did this week. Sounds simple? Band's gonna come up. We'll just pray and ask uh, Holy Spirit to kind of seal this message in our hearts. But I'll start with the verse, that, or end with the verse that we started with, that above all, that we would be completely humble and gentle. That we would be patient, bearing with one another, all others in love. Please stand. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for not only being our good shepherd and that take, I mean, we could say thank you every minute of the day for the rest of our lives and it would still not be enough thank you, but thank you for that and thank you for allowing us to play to be in the game, your game, of making all things new, of expanding your story, of redeeming creation. We get to play a part. We get to play shepherd. Some, some, some very large responsibilities as I look around this room. And it could have a, a dramatic impact on our city. And others, I know, just could, they could have a dramatic impact on those that they raise, their children, their grandchildren, their nieces, their nephews. You just never know when one of those nieces, nephews, grandchildren, whatever, grow up and they, maybe, they, maybe we don't do something big, but they do something that many people are affected. We just want to be completely humble. And I don't care whether it's one or 100 Help us to steward the resources that you've given us well so that we may shepherd well. We love you, Jesus. Amen.